0: The following is a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. We're going to be looking at Psalm 102, we're going to look through the entire passage actually this morning. So, Let us read Psalm 102, you know, how it is described. It's a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And so it reads, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me, and summon me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my load groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake, I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me, those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread, and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. And with away like grass. But, O oh Lord, you are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones there and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he look down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of all, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change, you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same. And your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Lord, may the entrance of your word bring light and understanding to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in a time where we have YouTube and a lot of music streaming services, some of you here... I probably can't remember the last time you bought an album. I don't know. Do you remember the last album you bought? You know, and I can get why. You know, we're in a time where if you like a song, all you need to do is choose that. It's very easy. You can get one or two of your favorite songs without even having to hear the entire album. I know for me, I remember my first album that I bought or one of it. It was Usher's My Way. Don't judge my music choice. But like many albums, though the genre is very specific, in that case, Usher's song was an R&B album, they always had the album had a range of styles or, you know, I guess you can say different sort of focuses. And so you would typically have in that album, you start with the upbeat song. It has that upbeat song to get you very excited at the beginning. Then you have a f- few slow jams going on there. Some love songs, some dance songs. But in the album, you always had that sad song. Um, I guess, you know, if it's Usher. It wasn't that deep for him. It was his heart broken because a girl has left him. And for him, it's... Come back, lover, this is where you belong. I don't know if you know that song. No? But I remember that song. That was his, you know, come back, this is where you belong. In my heart, as my girl. That was his low point. But you can get it. A good album, it needs to take the listener along different ranges, along different destinations. From ecstatic to sober, from fun to serious, from happy to sad. And why? Because that kind of journey is really a realistic expression of the hills and valley that we go through in life. And so the author of Psalm 102 wants to take us on a journey as well. This is a journey that starts in despair, but it ends in a very secure hope. And one of the things it wants to do is to teach God's people how to bring hurts to him. As the head of says in 102, it's a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Uh, Theologians call this a psalm of lament. And so the author kind of gives us a sort of glimpse of this person who is utterly overwhelmed in times of trouble and in desperate need for God. And the songwriter actually says in verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created can praise the Lord. What you realize, this is a song for the people then, but it's a song for us now. So as people of God would sing this song, the author would call the congregation then and today to walk very closely with him. To follow him on his emotional journey, filled with sorrow. It's filled with emptiness. And while showing us how we can faithfully process those types of emotions. And so, as we come to track 102 from the album of Psalms, this is what I believe we will learn from this song that when suffering causes us to look at ourselves, we can find security. In a bigger view of God. As we see how the psalmist navigates his own pain and trial. We're going to see him model for us two things. We're going to see him looking. It's going to call us to look at ourselves. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 11. And then we're going to see him saying look at our God. In verses 12 to 26. And this is going to help us. It's going to help us because whether we want to admit it or not pain sorrow suffering that's all around us we either face it within our very selves or we see it without yet god in his kindness gives us songs like this to tell us about saints who are facing hard things on all fronts you see because walking with god is real walking with god is raw And today, he provides us a window to see how his people interacted and related with him. And through their innermost feelings, their thoughts, their concerns, how they show their own confidence in him. And so let us look at that first point. Looking at ourselves in verse 1 to 11. So as I mentioned, this is a lament. It tends to begin with this sort of calling out to the Lord, followed by a plea to God to help. And then after that, you would hear a list of complaints. This is the structure of a typical lament in Psalms. And so you're going to hear a lot of metaphors. You're going to see parallels and a host of literary styles. Because as a masterful songwriter... We get to hear this guy get very honest to get very raw so all throughout verses 1 to 11 we see him paint pictures of his afflictions touching him at all aspects so even look at it look at verse 3 my days pass away like smoke my bones are burnt up again I I, I don't know If this is literally what's happening, but he feels that way. So he is under some mental stress. My heart is struck down like grass and I feel withered. I forget to eat. And so again, he's talking about emotional pain. He he can't eat. Whatever is going on with him, he can't eat. He, He even talks about how it's affecting him socially. Hear him say it. He feels like a desert owl. I feel like I'm in a wilderness. He he talks about, I'm awake, but I feel like I'm a lonely sparrow on a housetop. Again, he feels alone. He feels socially awkward. He talks about how his enemies are taunting him. How his very name is like a curse. So again, them bad-minding me out there. I'm going through stuff, but I'm feeling people saying things about me. My very name is a curse. When they mention my name, it's like, boy, nobody want to be like Sean, for example. Nobody want to be like so-and-so. That is how people perceive him as they watch him go through whatever he's going through. But it doesn't stop there. He's in spiritual agony. He talks about the fact that he is feeling the very anger of God. He is feeling pressured by God. God, I don't even see you. I feel like you vexed with me. I feel like I'm receiving your very wrath. God, you don't check for me. What's going on? He's feeling it on every side mental, physical, social, spiritual. All of this affliction he feels in his very body. He feels it from others, and he feels it from God. And frankly, I guess you could call it, this guy is just depressed. This guy is just depressed. He is down. It's very intense, how it's being described. And and remember, I hope you remember what we're reading. We are reading a songbook. This is a songbook for the people of God. So yes, people of God can not only go through these things, but they can also feel these things. People of God. I mean, how does that affect your view on sorrow, on depression in the life of a Christian? I mean, surely this must be something because of his own doing. I mean, he is forgetting that he is blessed and highly favored. Surely. But, you know, what's interesting is that even though the author writes in very descriptive ways, we don't get much clarity as to the full nature or the very reason of these calamities. And I believe God does that in his kindness. I believe that's actually very intentional. He mentions pain. Yes, he mentions loneliness, sorrow, and frustration. All things that so many of us can actually identify with. Because the author isn't specific with the circumstances. Because he's not very specific about his very timeline. The emotions, mentions, and the very truth that he's going to call us to receive will actually become timeless for us. Making it something that we can benefit from. And so, again, with every poetic illustration that he uses, at different points you can really say, You know what? I've felt that before. I've felt that before. Or if not that, you know, I know someone going through that very thing. And so again, maybe for us here, it may be feeling or seeing people experiencing falling out with friends. Maybe it's another failure at a task that you are supposed to be doing. Failure at school, failure at some business maybe. Maybe the heart-crushing death of a loved one. The very difficult people or circumstances that you can experience at work, at certain interactions with people. The misunderstanding or the bitterness that can happen between family. The hard crushing, chronic pain that comes through sickness maybe. Or just in general, the hardship of being a caregiver for the very people who are experiencing all those things. We can identify with this. You see, because life can present to us so much, bringing us to places of sorrow, bringing us to places of depression. And the reality is that sometimes even the very good things and pleasures that we can experience in this world can be courted by pain and suffering. That's a reality. And so the psalmist isn't afraid to be very real about his state. And neither should you. You see, those very raw and deep feelings of sorrow can certainly be a part of the journey of a Christian. Again, life brings us so many hard things. That we need to learn how to process well. The reality is that we are in a fallen world. And that means eventually so much of the very things that we can enjoy. So much of the very things that we can come to cherish can come to ruin. We need to realize that. And so again during those times what tends to happen to us naturally. We are prone to fall into despair. Naturally, we are prone to feel very hopeless. Naturally, we are prone to move into silence, move into bitterness, move into anger towards God and the very circumstances around us. And so that is why we need a song like this in our lives. We need these laments. We need these spiritual songs to teach us how to feel and how to process the very things we go through. Mark. Vrogop, in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says this. Without lament, we won't know how to help people walking through sorrow. Instead, we'll offer trite solutions, unhelpful comments, or impatient responses. What's more, without this sacred song of sorrow, we will miss the lessons historic laments are intended to teach us. Lament is how Christians grieve. It's how to help hurting people. Lament is how we learn important truths about God and our world. Again, our culture doesn't teach us that. Our culture doesn't encourage that. And sometimes in our very Christian cultures. I mean, I was thinking about it. When you look at scripture, these guys had these very systematic things that they would do. Someone dies, they went into mourning. They had garments of mourning. It was expected. Your spouse dies, they allow you to mourn. Okay, no, we're like, yeah, I know, things are rough, but come on, Jesus is good. Come on, come on. You, You need to be a happy Christian right now. Why so gloomy? But listen, grieving, lamenting. Is something that we need to learn to do. It's something we need to learn to do. And if you are not in lament, it's something that you need to learn that, guess what? It's a time to bear with your brother or your sister in patience. It's a time to mourn with those who mourn. And to ask God for wisdom so that you can be an instrument of grace in the life of a suffering saint. You know, again, while being in such a place is very hard, like our psalmist, God uses life's sorrows to force us to ask some very critical spiritual questions. Who am I? What am I trusting in? Who is God? And you see, verse 10 is a, a very interesting transition for us here because, again, he's reflecting on how he feels that God's anger is on him. He mentions that in the midst of his suffering, he's feeling that. But there's something interesting to notice there. While the psalmist is certainly very aware of the different instruments of his grief, and so again he mentions pains in his bones, he mentions loneliness, he mentions enemies cursing him, there's also a very healthy recognition of the one who is in control of it all. Again, that is a healthy thing. To realize, say, boy, God, you have something to do with this. And it's not surprising then, because he recognizes that in the midst of his anguish, it is the Lord that the psalmist turns to. It is the Lord that the psalmist cries out to and makes his plea. And he said, again, here we get another glimpse of God's purpose in the midst of suffering. You see, God has a purpose for that trial. God has a purpose for that suffering. It is to turn his people to him. You know, Hosea 6 1 says this Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. You see, this reality comes up all across Scripture. Again, while you can't always pinpoint specific reasons why people are suffering, what it does, it forces us to shift our focus and see a bigger view of God. And this is what we see at the next point. This look at our God in verses 12 to 26. From verses 12, we see the psalmist switch gears in his song. You know there's a shift coming. Why? Because you hear this word, but. But. I'm going through all of this, but. Ed Welch, in his book, Depression, looking up from the stubborn darkness, he he coins this phrase of what the psalmist is doing. He stops listening to himself and starts talking to himself. You see, in the previous verses, you hear him listening to his very deep and dark feelings. But now... He starts reminding himself about certain key characteristics of God. He starts reminding himself about his power. He starts reminding himself about God's mercy and his faithfulness. And you see in verse 12 to 18, what he's basically doing, guys, he is Telling himself the story of the good news. He's telling himself the story of how Yahweh, this covenant-keeping God, who is eternal, who is sovereign, who is the ruler over everything, has promised to have mercy on his people. He's preaching the gospel to himself. The gospel that he knows. Reminding himself that God does not Only take pity on those who trust in him. But will also intervene on their behalf. You see that in verse 17. And again the basis for this expectation is that the Lord will hear him and respond. It doesn't come because of inequality within himself. But rather God's very nature. He is the covenant keeping God. He is going to establish his promises to Israel. That's what he reminds himself about. So again, before, he is being very raw. He's being very honest about what he's feeling. But now he says, okay, let me remember what you've done to your people. Let me remember what you said you would do for Israel. Let me tell tell myself some of these things. It's because of God's mercy and grace towards his covenant people. That the psalmist can shift his song, He can shift to a confidence that as Psalm 102.20 says, Hear the groans of the prisoners. That he will set free those doomed to die. I mean, what a remarkable posture to have in the midst of suffering. You know, would God give us the grace to have a similar attitude in the midst of our own trials? An attitude that doesn't just get real and raw, but an attitude that can lead to praise, as verse 18 says. Knowing that God is going to accomplish some good through this. And you see, that's what he says. He says, you know what, let the generations see. Let the generations hear and remember what God has promised to do for his people. Again, it is an acknowledgement that people in this covenant relationship with the Lord, he's working all things for good. He's going to work out these trials. He's going to accomplish his purposes. You see, the psalmist, in the midst of his suffering, looks beyond himself and looks to those around him. And then all who will come after And basically said, Yes, you see my life. Yes. You see my trials. But now look to God. Look to his promises. Look to his reliability. And so verse 18 to 22 says this. Let this be recorded for a generation to come. So that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth. To hear the groans of the prisoners. To set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. This is the posture that the psalmist has. This is a posture that he calls us to have as well. Um, But again, if we're very honest, you see, this posture is not very easy. You see, in suffering, sometimes it's very hard to be comforted by the fact that God, who is in control, is looking down at me, looking down at me in the midst of my crosses, looking down at me in the midst of my crying, in the midst of my frustrations, in the midst of receiving things that I don't believe I deserve, even though I am doing things right, I'm getting a whole bag of troubles. He's looking down from heaven and earth. Sometimes that does not give any sort of comfort. a matter of fact, sometimes you almost feel like he's looking down as someone just observing. This very indifferent observer. But but know this. You see, the very God who looked down, he also came down. You see, our very sovereign God, he's also a suffering God. He's the one who looked down from heaven as the one who experienced suffering on earth. And so he looks down and he knows your pain. And he's the perfect companion to you because he experienced that pain as well. You see, as you suffer, he knows. Because this perfect son of man, Jesus knows the struggles that you face. And so he himself, he knows temptation when he was in the wilderness and Satan was constantly bombarding him. He knows. He knows poverty because he was once enthroned in heaven but he came down and there's a point where it says the son of man don't have anywhere to lay him head. He knows. He knows tiredness. He knows weariness. He knows disappointment when his friends turn him back on him. When people followed him before and they wanted bread and then find out that him they were bread this time and the whole crowd cut. He knows rejection. When him very family members, again, never really believe in him. He knows sorrow. He knows ridicule. When they were spitting on him. When they were whipping God. When they were mocking him and putting a crown on his head. He knows ridicule and rejection. And unlike no one ever before, Jesus knows true loneliness. When on that cross, the innocent man died for our sins. And who would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you see, even when he made that cry, Jesus himself was singing a psalm. He was singing a psalm. And similar to the very psalm that this guy is saying in verse 10. How he's experiencing God's anger. Jesus knows it because he was the ultimate innocent sufferer who faced God's wrath and and God's indignation. (laughs) Only God, only Jesus truly felt that. Jesus truly felt God turning his face. And so again, he looks down from heaven, not indifferent. He looks down knowing the very pains that we feel. He looks down knowing that. And so even as he rose... From the dead, and even though he is seated at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 4.15 tells us, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, Benjamin Heidingren in his book, The Forlorn Hope, puts it this way. You see, God's wisdom and knowledge of suffering is not academic. It is personal and actual with all the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual factors. You see, suffering saints, the one who is leading you through that trial and sorrow and through that pain and that daily fight has been there because he's done that fight. And so again, this is hope for us who walk with people through challenges as well. You see, because you don't actually need to know that suffering to be able to walk and journey with people. You see, their maker, he knows that suffering. And you know that God. And so you can walk hand in hand with those who are suffering. You see, in verse 23 and 24, realize that The psalmist's situation hasn't actually changed. You know, he still feels the pressure. I mean, look at it. Verse 23. After he speaks about God, he says, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shot my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. He's very much still in his circumstance. He's very much aware of his own frailty. Yet, one of the things he realizes that though he perishes, though he can perish, though these trials could destroy him, he recognizes that God, God is the one that will last. Verse 25, of all you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe. And they will pass away, but you are the same. And your years have no end. You see, my friends, we live in a world where so much can change in a snap. You can be on the mountaintop today, and you can be in the valley tomorrow. You can be very full today and tomorrow you're empty. But though all around you is changing, your Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The Lord, only He exists endlessly. And so therefore, suffering saints, you can be secure. Because if God has never nor will ever cease to exist, then we can be assured that he can stay true to his promises. That the one who is in control of all things can stay true to the things he's promised us. Because guess what? For us who are under his covenant, like his very nature, his word is eternal. It's not going to fade. It's going to accomplish the things he purposed. And you see, this is why you can have that same attitude and confidence as the psalmist. You can be in that place of security in the midst of your own grief. Because the same Lord that the psalmist is putting his hope in is the same Lord Jesus that has died in our place and brought us into fellowship with God. You see, the very description of the Lord in Psalm 102 25 to 27. It's the same way the author of Hebrews describes Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, it says, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And so we see how the psalmist in Psalm 102 can end with a sort of confidence where he says, The children of your servants shall dwell secure, their offspring shall be established before you. You see, because ultimately, all of God's servants, we will dwell secure, we can dwell secure. This is a truth that we need to remember. We are secure. Even though things seem shaky. Even though things can switch at a snap. We are secure. Because it is the eternal Lord Jesus. Who has power to stay faithful to his covenanted people. You know... God has been very kind to us in our life to bring us people again in the Psalms that we can reflect on who we realize that in the midst of trials that they don't shift, that they don't change, who are fighting well. God in his kindness gives that to us to encourage us, to give us these living pictures you know, I, I remember even some of us in this fellowship will know people around us. You know, a friend, Danielle Pinock. Every time I see her, I have to remember that. I have to remember that there's such a people who are sick daily. Who feel pain daily. Yet they can still praise the Lord. That they can cry out to the Lord and they can ask, God, God, please relieve me. And when... He doesn't, they can still praise. I'd mention a quote from someone named Benjamin Heidengren, who we met while we were in Pennsylvania, and his story is just something that continues to shake me. I'll tell you it quickly. In, In October 2011, or in 2011, I think he said October, he got in a car accident. And it damaged his brain. And since then, he has been in a very crazy journey. Where for him, he couldn't remember things beyond 8 hours. I mean, he's now, by the time he wrote that book, he was at about remembering things 12 hours later. He was at a point where for him, he could not feel certain emotions. And so he speaks about the fact that he couldn't feel the sorrow when he sinned. He couldn't feel the joy of reading the scriptures. He couldn't feel angry. He couldn't feel sad. He felt headaches constantly. He was feeling pain on a certain side of his body all the time when he would walk. A constant reminder of pain. Yet this is something that he wrote. He, he wrote a section in the poem he called The Forlorn Hope. This is what he said. I fight because I choose to fight. I choose because I, have, I was chosen. The one who chose commands my might. Though I be battered and broken. Man, when I hear people being able to speak like that, it really challenges me. Because I recognize again, the psalms that we sing here and that we hear, we need this. You see, this psalm is a song that if you and I live long enough on this earth, we too will need to learn these lines. It's a song for sufferers. Filled with truths that you or those you may be called to walk alongside with. Will need before and during hard times. And so when suffering comes and you are forced to ask important questions about yourself and God. May you sing honest lines. May your tunes be raw. And very clear about your weakness and your frailty. Embrace and accept your own limitations and how finite you are. But don't forget the next line of the song. Don't forget to turn to your infinite and sovereign God. In those times may you join the psalmist and sing of God's mercy. The mercy and kindness of our covenantal God that gives us confidence that he will hear our cries. As you walk through your valley of darkness or your journey alongside a suffering sage, Sing over and over the chorus of our everlasting God. How the Lord's eternal and unchanging nature will be the very foundation and basis for your own hope. Knowing that he's not just willing but able to deliver on all his promises. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sean Taylor, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.